Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. So let's look again here at Luke chapter 2. We're going to just go right to verse 8. We don't have time to read the whole story, you know, about angels appearing, you know, Gabriel going to Mary and you know, revealing to her what he revealed and then to Joseph and then, of course, to the, after the birth to the shepherds and all that. We're just going to focus on these key verses of what actually was pronounced and declared after the birth of our Savior. Luke 2, 8. If you're there, say amen. amen. Now, there were in the same country... Referring to where, obviously, uh, Bethlehem, where Joseph and Mary were at the time. Shepherds living out in the fields. Now, there's a connotation there just for pastors, for, t for obviously uh, uh, relating to what, uh, you know, any pastor needs to be reminded of. Living out in the fields means that pastoring can be a lonely job. It can truly be a lonely job because you're obeying God. You're doing what God told you to do. And therefore, you just simply focus on like uh, the greatest, uh, one of the greatest bits of advice I ever got from one of our greatest spiritual dads now in heaven, Dr. George Evans, who was one of our pastor's spiritual fathers. Our pastor went to his school called Berean Bible College. Great man of God. No telling how many lives that man's changed. But I'll never forget, you know, after he got hooked up with us as a spiritual dad, one of the first things, he looked at me, man, with those loving eyes, looked into my eyes. He said, Daryl, I don't want you to ever forget this. Pastoring is like driving a bus. People get on, people get off. You keep driving the bus. Now, I cannot tell you how many times that has gotten me through difficult challenges with people. And I promise you, it has been one of the greatest blessings of my life to be reminded I'm not, you might, you might take this wrong. Don't misunderstand it. I'm not to focus on the people. I'm to focus on God and drive the bus. And if I do that, the people that are on the bus will get the benefit. Our pastor talks about this all the time. Great man of God who not only has a doctorate's degree in studying scripture, he wrote curriculum for Berean Bible College. Great man of the scriptures, just to know and to simply bring out the truth of the scriptures. And in his first school he was in before he wound up in Brian Bible College, they taught him, you are a servant to the people. Now, I know a lot of people are immediately going to say, well, Jesus even said, I came to serve. Let me tell you who he came to serve. He came to serve the Father yes. so he could bless you. Amen. He didn't take on a haughty attitude like, I'm God, you serve me. But how do we know he was here to serve the Father? I only do. I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father. If you serve people, you're going to do what the people say. You're going to try to, quote unquote, you know, always be somebody who makes the people happy. But if you serve God, you're going to help everybody that wants to walk with God. So, again, they're living out in the, in the fields, away from everybody else, keeping watch over their flock. Notice this, verse 9, Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before these shepherds. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. What's the glory of the Lord? The manifest presence of God. Now, we talked about this Wednesday night. I'm going to keep referring back to it. But if you remember in Psalm chapter 8 and verse 5, it tells us very clearly that when God made man. Remember David talking to God out there in the fields probably, watching his flock one time at night. And he said, what's man that you're mindful of him? In other words, why would you create man? And he says, I have crowned him. That means to encircle him. I have surrounded him and circled him with glory, my presence, and with honor. What was the honor? Then the following two verses, 6 and 7, tells you that we would have the blessing of being responsible of overseeing the work of God's hands. Wow. I said, wow. Guess what you and I are supposed to be doing? Overseeing the work. Of God's hands. So here we see this manifest glory of God's presence. Verse 9, it's shown all around them. Into verse 9, and they were greatly afraid. Those, those shepherds, of course, initially. I mean, if you'd have been out there, put yourself in their shoes. You know the after story. If you're out there watching some sheep and all of a sudden these glorious beings show up, you know, hovering in the air up above you, 
and this manifest glory shows up, which none of them had had because of the fall, I think you'd be a little freaked out. Come on, somebody. I think you might be a little, you know, a little freaked, a little taken back by that. Verse 10, the angel said to them, so he responds and says, do not be afraid. Behold, I'm bringing you what? What am I bringing? So this is to me a little blind to us. And I really wish they wouldn't have translated it this way in English translations. Because the actual direct wording is, I bring good news. Glad tidings doesn't always seem to make that uh, as, a, as a point of sense to us in relationship to that word. But what he said was, I'm bringing good news to you of what? Tell me. Isn't that cool? God never does anything on a, on a normal level. Hey, I'm just bringing some good news. Got a little bit of joy to share with you. <laughs> now, I think a lot of Christians need to wake up to this good news and get some great joy working in their life. But he said, I got some good news of what? Great joy. Shout it at me. Notice this, which will be to what? All people. It's available to everybody. I'm no respecter of persons, God says. Verse 11, through these angels, for there is born to you this day in the city of David. What is, what is he? Underline that. He's a savior. Next phrase, who is? Underline it, Christ the Lord. So the two things he specifically says is, I'm revealing to you that a savior has come. Who's the Savior? Christ, the Messiah. Now that, that phrase actually refers to, in a way as it reflects to us, deliverer. Amen. Deliverer. It's not just the Messiah, yes. But if you go study about the Messiah in the Old Testament, what was spoken of, of, the, of the Messiah? He will deliver you. Deliver you from sin. He'll deliver you from bondage. He'll deliver you from death. He'll deliver you from sickness, disease. He'll deliver you from oppression. He'll deliver you from fear. He'll deliver you from all these things. So one, he's a savior. He's going to save us by coming to us as two, a deliverer. But how does he deliver us? Because he's Lord. He's Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. Meaning there's nobody higher. So what's that mean? There is nothing on the planet that should be lording over your life because the Messiah, your deliverer, if you're saved, born again, has come to you. Yeah. Can I get a better amen than that? Yeah. 12. So here's the sign, he said. The sign to you will be a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, and he'll be lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angelic host, think about this, a multitude of heavenly hosts. Yeah. This one angel, this multitude of heavenly hosts showed, showed up, praising God and saying, Come on. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill. Goodwill toward men. So the phrase here, why does he say on earth peace? Why does he say that? Because you know what man needed? He needed peace with God. Sin put him at enmity with God. In a position of of total opposition to God. So what's peace? Harmony. Say, I'm in harmony with God. Now you might, that doesn't mean you may necessarily be living like it. Uh, I pray you do. I pray you walk in the light of that truth. But the truth is, no matter what you do, guess what you don't lose as a believer? Harmony with God. If you do, then you got to get born again, again. But that's not necessary. Because your spirit's the one that's made new. Say, thank you, Jesus. I have peace with God. So the good news is this Savior is going to come deliver you because he will be your Lord now. Lord. Now, you got to emphasize that and walk in that. We're going to see that later in this series. That's going to come a little later in this series. Might start Wednesday night. He is your Lord now. And because he is, guess what he has done? He has given you peace with God. So God, meaning what, is not opposed to you anymore. God is now, let, let me say it this way. You're now back on God's side. Yeah. Say, I am back on God's side. Even if you blow it, even if you do things wrong, even if you mess up in life, it doesn't change once you're born again that you have peace with God. Say, I have a Savior. He came to save me. What did he come to save you from? A lot of things. Let's find out. Go back to Genesis. Come on, go back to Genesis. So to understand why Jesus came... What do we got to do? We got to go back to the very beginning when this separation between man and God occurred. 
We can't really learn about what Jesus did for us if we don't understand what initiated this purpose of Jesus coming. Now, I understand God all-knowing. The Bible even tells you, tells me and you that Jesus actually in the eyes of God had already given himself as a sacrifice for the world before the world was ever created. God knew this would happen. But the point being is that for us to understand why Jesus came and how it affects my salvation story, what's your salvation story? My deliverance story, how that affects me, I got to know why he came. And to do that, I got to go figure out what happened to bring this all about. So we talked about this Wednesday night. I won't have time to go into it in detail. I'll just touch on it briefly because I'm giving you points here as to why Jesus came. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, please. God said, let us make man in what? This is our word for the day. Our image. 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 Back, I remember as a young, uh, when I was younger, young kid watching your know, television, there was a famous commercial out with a tennis player. Image is everything. I can't remember the tennis player's name. He was God tennis player, huh? No, this was a guy. A guy, ten, and it, it was for Canon. He was a Canon representative. You know, the, can, you know, the, the cam, Canon cameras. And, and the, the, I, I don't know why it always comes to me when I think of this, but I just remember that phrase because that, that's the whole design of an advertiser. They want, they want this catchphrase to grab you and never forget it. And that commercial, the whole key to that commercial was image is everything. Meaning that if you're going to take a picture of something and you really want it to be worth taking, the image of what you're going to get is worth everything. Yes. But how did it get that image? It had to look at something. Yeah. It had to look at something. And it, in the context of it being a, a true image, it had to see it clearly, and it had to reflect it in a way that was just like the regular image. So think about that in this statement. Let us, God said, talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, make man say that would be us in what? Our image. You're an image of God. According to our likeness, let them have dominion. This is what we'll get to later. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, over the cattle. I did that. Bull riding. I'm telling you, it works. Over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Say, I have. have. Like you mean it. I have have. authority, Authority. dominion Dominion. over every creep. He said so. Over every creeping thing on the earth would be every creep. We're not talking about creep people. We're not talking about creepy things. <laughs> not what you think would be a creepy person. You don't have authority over people. No. 27. So God created man in his own what? Image. Image in the... In the... New King James says image of God. Because that's the true phrase here. It's the same word. 26. Let us make man in what? Our... Image, 27, so God created man in his own image. image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then he blessed them, told them to have dominion. So drop down with me, please, to chapter 2 again. Let's go back to chapter 2 where we were Wednesday night, verse 7. You still with me? Chapter 2, verse 7. So the Lord God then formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed in his nostrils. What did he breathe in? Tell me out loud, please. The breath of what? Breath of life. And he became what? So the word breath, or think about this, you know, I mean, you don't want, really want people breathing on you. Tell your neighbor, I like it, but don't breathe on me. Praise the Lord. But you know what you did want? God breathing on you. Because for God to breathe on, on you, he's not doing it as a physical being in this, in this setting. He's doing it as a spirit, so it's a part of his spirit. The word also for spirit is breath. So when he breathed on man here, I've told you this. If you go look it up in the Hebrew, the word breathe there means spirit and soul. So this is how man got a soul, mind, will, and emotions. And he put it in a body. And even what we're going to talk about today is significant to understanding what I'm going to give you a phrase of over and over and over and over and over again. We got to stop giving, getting our image from the creation. Don't think you don't in some ways. We got to stop getting our image from creation. Our image is to come from the creator, not the creation. Now, normally I teach on this. I do, I do weeks and weeks and weeks. So you got to listen really good. I'm not going to get it on this morning. Didn't plan to. I'm going to give you the first part and I'm going to give you the second part tonight because I, I just can't fit it in one message. So I'm not trying to find some way to get you back here. But if you don't come back tonight, you better go get tonight's message. Yeah. 
But I want you to see this. God made us in his image. So I've been made in his image. So when God breathed into this body, he formed of the dust of the ground. It came to life. Why? Because immediately God's spirit, part of God's spirit, and therefore making us a spirit being, came into that body along with a soul. So we already talked about this in relationship, and we saw it in Genesis 3. That it goes on to say in Genesis 2, remember God said, if you eat of this tree, you will what? What will happen? You'll die, meaning what? My presence will leave you. He is life itself. And therefore, Genesis 3, we find out when they sinned, what happened? They died. Just like God said. The devil lied to him, said, you won't die. Say he's a liar. And I don't listen to him. So they died. They what? Had the presence of God leave them. Again, just imagine, try to even think about the darkness of that moment. The, you know, the only way I could relate it to something the natural I've ever experienced in my life, which won't even do this justice. Years ago, and I know I've told you this story, but you know, it's like my pastor said, the power of pastoring is repetition. John Osteen taught him that, not Joel. John Osteen taught him that. John was a great teller of stories to help people understand truth. Years ago, when I was actually living in Arizona with my dad, a teenager, uh, my dad had an a interest in a mine. It never really produced much. It was a gold mine. Kind of hope they did, hope it would, but it never did. But on occasion, we'd go spend weekends up there with my dad. And when we go up to this mine, of course, you know what we want to do? We don't want to sit around and just look around at stuff on the out. We want to go in the mine. You know, we want to get down in the mine. So he would take us down in this mine. You know, he'd take us where we could go in this mine. Well, the first time my dad takes us, of course, you know, he thought it was really cool. We did not think it was so cool. He, he takes us down this mine. And as you get down in this mine shaft, start walking around further, 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 further. We get down so far down there, we stop, we're looking around. And my dad's the only one with a flashlight and he turns it off. That you might not think, no big deal, that wouldn't bother me at all. You have no idea, if you've never been there, what it's like to be in a place of darkness where there is zero, say zero, zero, zero light. Let me help you. This even ascribes to spiritual things. Because all of the things of what is of death and of the enemy is darkness. And when you can't see the light, man, I'm going to tell you what, you can get really uneasy feeling in a hurry. And it became so weird. We're standing there, and my dad's just laughing. You know, he said, see if you can find your way out. When you get that far into a mine shaft, there ain't an ounce of light coming in from anywhere. It's as dark as you can get on the planet, period. I've never experienced it. I've been in caverns before, but you always had like some little bit of light or something, whatever, but not like this. And my dad started laughing. We started panicking. We thought he left us. Because the echo, you know, you talk, it sounds like he's farther away. We're like, hey, what are you doing leaving us here? He said, come on, see if you can find your way out. And I'm not joking. You almost began to lose all sense of up and down. You couldn't even, I'm, it's hard to explain. It's just really hard. A pilot who's ever been in a major storm will tell you that's why they have to learn to fly by their aviation, uh, you know, their uh, uh, computers and all that stuff. Chef can tell you because you can get in a storm where you don't know up from down. You would think you would, but you don't. You just lose all sense of any form of right from wrong, up from down, etc. Man, I'll guarantee you what, magnify that probably by a thousand fold as to what Adam and Eve felt when the presence of God left them. What entered them? Darkness. Light left. Darkness came. But Jesus. Sadly, I don't see a lot of Christians living this out. But number one, what was the first thing Jesus did when he came? Why did Jesus come? I'll tell you why. He came to reunite you with the very life of God. Yes. To bring God's presence back into your life. If it wasn't for Jesus, you wouldn't have God's presence back in your life. Man lost God's presence. Guess what we do through Jesus? We got his presence back. Amen. And we need to be aware of that. I, t- I left off on Wednesday night telling you, you need to start doing things in your life spiritually that will help you be more aware of that presence. You want to know why? Because everything you need is in God. Yes. Every answer you'll ever need in life is in God. All the wisdom you I am. I heard it again the other day. I think it might have been Tommy. I'll pick on him. He's a pastor, so he gets offended. I'll just correct him over it. But, <laughs> but I, I think it was him. I said, so I think when he showed up, I said, so what do you know, man? Was it you? Was what do you know? He said, nothing. I said, this is all I keep hearing from Christians. I mean, every time I see, uh, just see some church, hey, what do you know? Well, nothing, pastor. Really? I think you need to pay attention to your pastor's preaching a little better. 
I don't think you're paying much attention. You must be snoozing in those services, man. I'm going to tell you right now, because I've taught you better than that. You're either not listening or you're still falling to that flesh and allowing your flesh to rule you. Uh, let's walk through this for just a moment. Can we go down this rabbit trail? Doesn't the Bible say you have the mind of Christ? Oh, what does Jesus not know? What does Jesus not know? See, you might think, well, I don't really know much or know nothing, but the truth is you just haven't learned to tap into what you really have an access to. And to say, I don't know anything, is to, you, you, literally you're saying to Jesus, hey, you really didn't give me the mind of Christ because I know nothing. Now, I know people don't mean it intentionally in that sense, but I'm just telling you, you need to wake up to the reality. You should not be confessing over your life. What, what do you know? Oh, nothing, not much. You should say, hey, man, I know everything God needs me to know. Be a whole lot better answer, and that'll really help you. Why you have access to it? When he says you have the mind of Christ, you have the ability to know what God knows. So how are we going to know this without knowing Him? How are we going to know this without being aware of Him? You're not, because He's not going to reveal it to your brain. He's going to reveal it to your spirit. So if you miss Wednesday night, go back and get it. But the first thing Jesus did of why He came is He reunited us with the presence of God. He gave us God's presence back that was lost. Amen? He saved us from that loss of God's presence. Now, I'm going to show you the second thing he did today. Back to verse 7. The Lord God again had formed man of the dust, uh, of, the dust of the ground, and he did what did he do? Now, I've oftentimes thought about how cool this would be to illustrate, but I would freak people out if I did it. <laughs> to bring like Joshua up here, you know, or something, and lay Joshua down on the... On the platform, you may want to see this happen, you know. And your pastor gets on his knees and bends and breathes into Joshua's nostril. Can I help you? Can I help you? It ain't happening, man. <laughs> I don't know the last time he blew his nose. That ain't happening. I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. I'm sorry. But think about this. No, seriously, think about this. He makes this body out of the... And, and God breathes. How close has he got to be to do that? So God bends over and he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And the minute he did, it was instantaneous. What happened? These eyes opened up. More than these physical eyes. Your spirit has eyes. The spirit that went in there all of a sudden saw through those natural eyes the face of the Father. Now imagine sitting there face-to-face face with the Father like that. Because until you truly see Him in heaven, you'll have no idea how incredible that is. We can only see now dimly. But then, then we'll know. Like we really will, like we really should know. Now that doesn't mean we can't know some here, because we can. So guess what happens when man falls here? So when God breathed in the man's nostrils the breath of life, what's the first thing he saw? He saw the face of God. So what's he seeing? You ready? Image. Reflection. You listening? What's his direct focus on? Face of God. What's he seeing? An image of himself. Guess what he's actually looking at? Who I really am. Not like I'm God. But I'm in his image. My worth is in that image. My worth is in that God that made me. Not what he made. So clearly we see that this had to have happened when he breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. These are the kind of things that God doesn't necessarily say. He doesn't show them to other believers. Sure he does. But these are the things that just stand out to you as a teacher, as a gift of God. Because you just see stuff that just like, wow, why would I have never, not ever seen that before? Most people don't read that verse and think of seeing God's face the moment your eyes open, but I sure do. Uh, going on here, excuse me, Genesis 3, moving on then. So go to Genesis 3, verse 6. So the woman again saw that the tree was good. We went through the temptation Wednesday night, right? What, was she, what is she looking at? Creation. She's looking at the tree. Saw that the tree was good for food. It was pleasant for the eyes. The tree desirable to make one wise. The one she was not to partake of, but she took of its fruit and she ate. She also then gave to her husband with her and he ate. Get over the old age issue of why did it happen? It happened. Who was at fault? It happened. Who cares? 
Jesus did something about it. You want to sit here and argue between a husband and wife? Well, if you, if you women weren't so deceived, bless God, us men, well, what about you men not taking your authority and doing what you were supposed to? You can go on and on and on forever about this. Guess what? It happened. Move on. Thank God for what Jesus did. Verse 7, the eyes of both of them. Both of them were naked. They knew they were naked because they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. Made themselves coverings. This is where you ought to write down the, the psalm um, I just referred to 5.8, excuse me, 8.5, because God clothed them with the glory of God. Why did they notice the nakedness now? His presence left. His presence wasn't just in them, it was on them. And now that presence left. So now they're seeing the natural part of themselves only. Verse 8, they heard the sound. That's a whole other message in itself, by the way. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day as he would come to fellowship with him. And Adam, his, his wife, I don't care how many times you've heard this. I want to wake some of you up to say, oh, I've already heard you preach this, Pastor. Oh, I didn't know you got full revelation of it already. Because I'm still working on getting more. Watch this. So they hid themselves from the, underline it, presence. Underline that, please. Put a note here in your Bible somewhere. Because the word presence is not actually the correct translation. If you go look this word up, the very first word in the definition is the face of God. Well, God's there. His presence is there. Guess what they can't look upon? His face. I'll prove it to you in a minute. Well, sure they saw his face. They couldn't have. If they did, the Bible lied. And the Bible doesn't lie. You're getting a part of the story here. This is a summarization of what was a detailed event that you could have gone and wrote books and books and books about what happened. Seriously. But what did they hide themselves from? The presence of the Lord God among the trees. So what did they first see? What did Adam first see when God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life? The face of God. Guess where Adam got his full value and worth in life? From the Father. From the Father, from the Creator, not the creation. When you as a believer ever wake up and really get serious and develop an understanding and a revelation of your value and worth restored back to you by Jesus in the Father, you're going to live a whole lot happier life. You're going to live a whole lot more powerful life. A whole lot better life. There's so many things we could say about it. You'll walk in a greater uh, revelation of your very authority as a child of God. You'll walk in a greater, greater revelation of all the benefits of what you've been given as a child of God because of what Jesus did for you. And you'll quit allowing all these issues in life to have such an impact on your life. Such a horrible effect on your life. And that's what the devil wants. So clearly this reveals to us they could no longer look at what? They could no longer look at the face of God. Go to Exodus 33. So have you made your point about number two yet, Pastor? No. Nope. Some of you might know it, but no, I haven't yet. Just for your knowledge of those who you are good note takers, Exodus 33. So I'll prove to you when that actually occurred, they weren't actually looking at the face of God. They're hiding themselves. They're kind of down amongst, you know, whatever is there in the midst of them at that time, trees, foliage, whatever. They're hiding from the presence of God. They never get the opportunity to see God's face again. I'm going to show you why. The Bible clearly proves this. God is everything that's good. Say that, please. And therefore, come on, say it. Therefore, he's everything that's holy. Holy means all that's right. All that is of light. All that's totally free from darkness. Right? That's God. And therefore, it's everything that's what? Good. You know, a lot of people look at holiness like this religious thing, and i got to be perfect and all that. You're looking at holiness wrong. Holiness is everything that's good. There's nothing in holiness that's bad. Our God's a holy God, and thus the reason the Bible says he is a good God. He has no evil or wrong in him. Exodus 33, if you're there, say amen. amen. So most of you know this account. So this is Moses and the children of Israel in the wilderness. Moses had been spending time with God on Mount Sinai. As he had done so, he gets the Ten Commandments. And, of course, what do the children of Israel do while he's up on the mountain with the Ten Commandments? Guess what they do? They make another image. They make a golden calf. And they worship the golden calf. Here's the problem about not getting your full value and worth from God. You're going to worship whatever you're getting your image from. You might want to write that down. 
You're going to worship whatever you get your image from. Whatever you get your image from, you're going to worship. What's worship mean? You're going to bow down to that to some degree. That's going to affect your life. That's going to in some way control your life. It's going to control what you think, what you say, what you do. How important is what you think, say, and do? Everything. Because what you think and then say brings about what you do, and that's where your life goes. And you and I got to realize that as a child of God, I should not be finding my image in life any longer in anything other than one thing, Jesus, the face of God. So here Moses then, after going back to God, pleading on behalf of the people, talking to God about what's been going on, has to go back and make new tablets. But before those new tablets are made, God and him start having this little conversation together. So Moses, at this point, pretty fed up with these million-plus people, right? As far as Moses, honestly, is really concerned, he's almost would be just as happy to ditch them and go on with God. But he knows if that happens, then God clearly looks bad in the eyes of all the rest of the world because God doesn't fulfill his promise of taking them to the promised land. And God's a God who fulfills his promise. This is why Moses was called the most humble man on the face of the planet. Why humble? He wasn't afraid to remind God what God had said. God didn't forget. God's so smart. This is what's so cool. Some of you might get this, some of you may not. Let me tell you how smart and how cool God is. God is so smart, he knows himself better than anybody else. Yep. <laughs> is that a heavy revelation? He knows himself better than anybody else. And he knows he's going to get angry with these people in the midst of the wilderness. What's he going to want to do? Wipe them out. Start all over. So because he knows that's going to happen, what does God do? He protects himself. He should learn from God. He protects himself. You know what he does? He says, I'm going to put a man that's so humble that's going to lead these children out of the wilderness, out of Egypt into the wilderness. I'm going to put a man in charge of these people so that when the time comes that I want to wipe them out, he's going to remind me, you can't do that. Can you imagine standing there to God and say, hey, you can't do that. <laughs> but he did. You know why? He's not thinking of himself, clearly, because like you and me, if we were thinking of ourselves, and God said, I'm going to wipe them out, how far do I need to go? <laughs> what, what distance do I need to get from these people so I'm not a part of that? Because I believe you deserve to wipe them out. They're a bunch of rebellious brats, man, who really, truly don't love and honor you, so I can see why you'd want to get rid of them. Just tell me where I need to be. So I'm not a part of that group any longer. But he doesn't do that. Imagine standing up to God in a humble way. Not a prideful way. But in a humble way. God, you can't do that. What do you mean I can't? I'm God. You can't do that. Because you, go, you gave this promise to take them into this promised land. As you brought them out of Egypt, all the Gentile nations will know that you are a God who doesn't do what you say. You can't do that. And God says, okay, because of your words, Moses, read it. I'll not do it. That's a smart God. I said, that's a smart, that's not a weak God. That's a smart God who's even protecting himself. So Moses here in the midst of this conversation, talking about the rebellion of the children of Israel and, oh, I don't know why they've done this, da, 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 da. Moses got so mad coming down off the mountain. The reason he's got to make new tablets is guess what he did? He threw them on the ground, man, and they busted and broke. And so God has to have him make another set. Watch this, verse 18 of Exodus 33. So in the midst of all this, Moses in this conversation said, please show me your glory. I wish I had time. If you go back up here to verse 13, God was talking about we're moving on from Sinai now. We're done with Sinai. We're going on. But Moses said, please do not take us up from here if you do not go with us. If you're not going, I don't want to go. A lot of great little rabbit trails this morning. If you're not going, I don't want to go. Here's another way to say it. You ready? God, if you're not in this, I don't want to do it. I may want to do it. It might even be for a sense of what I think is good inside of God. But if you're not in it, I don't want to do it. Say it. If God's not in it, I don't want to do it. Say this. If God's not going, I don't want to go. So that was Moses again. And that's what he was telling him before this conversation. If you're not going to go with us, man, listen. Please, 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 please. Don't make me go. Because if you're not going, I don't want to go. 18, notice this, this hunger, this passion in man's heart. Moses here represents all of man's heart 
since the fall. Watch this. Please show me your what? Glory. Now, I'm going to tell you what he just told you. I want to see my true identity again. what he just said how do you know where's your identity come from image of God ultimately in relationship to what we're talking about here the face of God you know if, if I was in a crowd of people right and your heads were turned right and you're walking in opposite direction and you were in a crowd of people I'd have a hard time really knowing you know is that Tommy is that Gopi is that Lakshmi is that Josh not with that, but the moment you turn, guess what I'd go? Oh, yeah. See, because your face represents who you really are. Your face reveals your true identity. This is the reason why, in relationship to God, you couldn't really know who God was without seeing his face and therefore get your true value and worth. Say true value and worth. Value. Without what? Your true identity coming from your creator. Right. Now, I'm going to show you why this phrase is saying, please show me your glory, meaning I want to see you for who you really are, so I can once again find my true identity. Verse 19, he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, underline it please, you cannot see my face. What did he ask to see? His glory. What is he wanting to see? My identity. I want my identity back. I understand man lost it, but I really want to get my identity back. I really want my identity in you. And I know I got to see your face to do that. So he said, you can't see my face for no man shall see me and live. Did God lie? No. Moses saw him in the sense of, of an aspect of his exterior of, the, of a type of a reflection or in essence, I don't mean his face or reflection like his reflection of his face. I'm talking about like you kind of see something in a cloudy day or something or a foggy day or whatever. You kind of make out an image of it, but you don't see the true, you know, the details of it. Well, that's what Moses saw when he actually spent uh, time with God. Well, the Bible says he actually visited him face to face. That just means God was present. But God didn't lie. He couldn't see his face or God lied. Verse 21, the Lord said, here is a place by me. You'll stand on the rock. So God wanted to try to do what he could to help Moses. said, here's a place close by. You go stand over here by this rock since you can't see my face. 22, so it shall be while my glory passes by, my manifest presence that was once on man. I will put you in the cleft of the rock. I'll cover you with my hand and I will pass by. Any idea what that was like? Then I'll take away my hand and you shall what? See my back. But my face, underline it, you shall not see. You can't get your true value and image and worth from me anymore because of sin. Sin separated us and made that not possible. Yes. You listening? So all through the, imagine this, all through the Old Testament, nobody could really get their true identity any longer from God. They couldn't do it. Why? Because they couldn't really see the very place of where it came from, which was what? The face of God. They couldn't look upon the face of their God, the Bible says, and live, God said. Because of what? Sin. Because God's good. Because he's a God who's all that's holy and right and good. And therefore, sin and, and, and the context of God's goodness cannot abide in the same place. You still with me? Yes. Hebrews 9. You're not bored, are you? No. Good. That gives me another hour. Hebrews 9. Now, I'm just teasing some of you already. Oh, my gosh. Hebrews 9. Hebrews chapter 9. So here's my point. I want you to get it. We're looking at why Jesus came. Why did Jesus come? Hebrews chapter 9. Not only to give us the presence of God back in our life. Thank you, Jesus. But why else did he come? Verse 23. Notice this. Talking about Jesus here and what he fulfilled and what he did. Listen to this. It was necessary, because if you go read before this again, sake of time, we just can't read all the verses. We'd never get hardly anywhere. But you can study them yourself. Before this, it's talking about the blood sacrifices of the Old Testament. Just so you know, I study my Bible. So all these preceding verses are talking about the blood covenant sacrifices of the Old Testament. Now he's going to compare that to the new and what Jesus did. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, blood, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. The tabernacle they built on earth is an identical one that was in heaven. Just a copy. God showed them what it looked like, showed them the details. That's how they knew how to build it. 
And all it did is it represented what was in heaven so that here on earth under the Old Testament, they could go into that tabernacle, the holiest of holies, where God's Shekinah glory was present. And they could sprinkle the blood on top of that mercy seat to maintain a covering for their sin, not a removal, so God could not have to therefore wipe them out because of their sin. He could look upon us with mercy. Say, thank you, Jesus. So that was the Old Testament, 24. For Christ has not entered the holy place, the one in heaven. He's not entered the holy places made with hands. In other words, we didn't make it. God did. You're going to get to see that tabernacle. man Man made the one here. God made the one in heaven. Now imagine just how glorious the one was here on earth that, you know, during Solomon's day that was made. Doesn't compare literally to the one God made in heaven. But Christ entered, say he entered. He He didn't enter the holy places made with hands, the one in heaven, which are copies of the true, that which one is in heaven. He entered into heaven itself now to appear, uh, watch this, now to appear, underline, in the presence of God. Why? Why? Underline the whole phrase, for us. For us. If you remember when, you know, when when the women showed up at the uh, tomb after obviously, uh, Third day it happened. They were going there to do what? They were going there to finish the burial job. And when they showed up and all of a sudden realized he's not there, right? Jesus all of a sudden shows up and here he is. And what did they want to do? Cling to him. What did he say? He can't do that because I've not ascended to heaven yet and shed my blood yet in heaven. So Jesus actually went to heaven after being raised from the dead and came back to the earth. He, because after that they could cling to him. So he went there to do what? Let me help you. He took his blood, part of his blood he shed. He went into that heavenly of heavenlies and went into that very inner court and sprinkled his blood on that mercy seat one time for all. Because up until that time under the Old Testament, they had to do it once a year, not any longer. The ultimate sacrifice has been made. Why? So we could be reunited with God. Notice this, 25. He did this not that he should offer himself often, as they did under the Old Testament, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of what? Himself. Himself. So the sacrifice of himself, meaning the ultimate sacrifice has been made. There's nothing else that needs to be done to remove man's sin. Think about this. Think about this. So if man's sin has been removed, what can man once again do? Get his true identity back. Because now he has that sin nature in his heart gone. The presence of God, number number one, the presence of God came to live back within him. And now that he has the presence of God living back with him, number two, you ready? He got our true identity back. Write it down. Why did Jesus come? He got our true identity back. Not our identity, because a lot of people still have identity, but it's not the true one. It's in a lot of other things. It's in the creation, in some way the creation. You know, you know what physical bodies of other people are? Part of the creation. You know what we have? One of the greatest forms of worship today in the earth? Uh, worship of people. People, you know, they'll see somebody famous. I mean, even Christians, they'll fawn over them. Oh, oh, it's just famous. Oh, look, oh, look, 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 look. Let me help you, folks. That's just part of the creation. You're not supposed to worship the creation. You don't think we're in a wrong mode in our time of life today with false identity? Let me help you. Everybody's got to have a selfie. Yeah. <laughs> Serious. Why, why all the selfies? Selfies. Self. You're focused on yourself. The outer man, part of creation. You know what cracks me up? Have you seen these crazy people? I actually lived in Montana and Wyoming as a kid growing up. My parents and my grandparents took us to Yellowstone Park all the time. Guess what we saw all the time? Bears. Guess what we didn't do? We didn't take selfies. No, my grandpa didn't. And most of those are grizzly bears, not black bears. They're not like real friendly. I mean, they kind of tried to get friendly. But in my day, you could go into Yellowstone Park at the very entrance when you first got there. They had these machines. Anybody ever go there? Remember this as a kid, or didn't do that? You'd you'd take you'd uh, put some money in. It would drop a plastic bucket out, and it would drop food in it. You could feed the bears from your car. Oh my 
You'd drive through the park and you'd see bears. You'd throw food out. They'd come up to your car. Well, some of them would crawl on your car, try to get in your car. Because they got so dehumanized that they just thought human, you know, this caused a problem. Well, guess what? The park don't do it anymore. Caused a lot of problems because these bears. I saw a video the other day, man, I'll tell you. It was, this family is sitting, my born you? I'm helping me. This family was sitting at a picnic table, and this, the, you, it was a mom. You, you knew the dad was across the table videoing because somebody got a phone videoing because they're taking a shot from across the table. Here's the mom with the young boy. She's got his head up against her shoulder, and she's got like a, like a hanky over his face, right? And there's a black bear up on, the, up on the actual picnic table eating their lunch. And she's just standing there holding him, being quiet, and the guy's videoing the whole thing, right? I mean, this black bear probably just showed up and said, hey, lunch, praise the Lord. Guess what? He wiped out their lunch, man. He ate the whole thing. Now, what we learned in relationship to the time that I grew up, if that ever happens, guess what you're not out for? A video or a selfie. <laughs> you listening? I've watched these people. I saw a video of a guy the other day, man, uh, up in Yellowstone. I don't know when it was taken, right? But here's a bear. He gets out of his car like everybody else. Let me tell you what not to do if you go to Yellowstone. If you see a bear, don't get out of your car and walk up to him. Even the park rangers will tell you don't do that. Because if they turn in a heartbeat, let me help you. You might be needing some major help if you're still around. You might become the lunch that day. And it's a funny, this guy's standing there and he's trying to, you know, get, and then he's trying to get closer to the bear. You ever seen people do this? He's trying to take a picture with a bear behind him. And all of a sudden the bear turns out to be a mama, had some cubs coming out of the bush. And let me help you, that mama got real upset really quick. So let me help you folks. This is all because of the generation we're living in where the devil's working overtime to do what? Let me help you. He's trying to get you to live your life off a of false identity. Yes. To want other people's approval. To want your own approval of yourself based on what you do. <clears throat> you still with me today? Yes. You got to realize, folks, if you, you, you know, I know people say, well, that's not me. I don't care what people think about me. But what do you think about other people? If you're somebody that easily gets frustrated and mad at other people because they don't do things to your standard, let me help you. Your identity is in the wrong place. Amen. What does that have to do with me? Everything. Because if your identity is in the creator, you're not responsible whether they live up to your way of doing things or not. Now, I don't mean parents don't have a responsibility to train their children the way they should go. I'm just talking about, guess what? Not everybody's going to do things to your standard. Not everybody's going to do things the way you do it. Not everybody may even do what you want them to do. But you're going to get all upset and get on them and, and get all... What about somebody accusing you? Of, oh, this is a good one. You ready for this? I'll send you to lunch on this one. What, what, about, what about somebody accusing you of something you didn't do? How angry do you get? How mad do you get? How quick do you respond back to that in a sharp tone or a sharp way? Because I got to defend myself. You know why I got to defend myself? Because I didn't do it. Your image is wrong. Your image is wrong. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus didn't stand up and defend himself with all the false accusations. No, he did not. This hits home for some. Or what about demeaning yourself? I'm just really not worth much. I look at my life, how I've lived. Are you born again? Yeah, let me help you. You're worth a lot. And so is everybody that's not born again because Jesus paid the ultimate price to buy you. What determines value and worth? Two things. Told you the many times. Who who can remember? Yes. Who remembers what determines value and worth? The rarity of it. What somebody's willing to pay. Go to the front of the class, Cindy. How rare are you? There's. Look at the person next to you. Look at them. Look at the person next to you. So you look pretty good. But you're not me. We're all different. How rare are we to God? We're very rare. Correct? But also what's somebody willing to pay for you? The ultimate price of what's been paid on the planet for anything was the precious blood of Jesus. You, you can go through so many scenarios, and of course I don't have time, but there's so many different ways you could look at this. you got to understand this. You and I have been given the privilege of why Jesus came to get our full identity back from God. The creator, not the creation. And the negative side of this affects us in so many ways that we don't see day in and day out. It causes us to have a bad attitude, treat people wrong, 
get upset, get mad, demean ourselves, live, live below our standard as a believer because I don't deserve anything. Well, let me help you, darling. None of us deserved anything, but what God gave us, he gave us because he loves us. It ain't about what you deserve. It's about his love for you and what he did for you. You didn't deserve salvation, but he gave it to you. You didn't earn it. Any good amens on this? So what is he telling us here in the book of Hebrews chapter 24 of verse, uh, verse 9? This is so powerful, you got to get it. Look again. Jesus went not into the holy place made with hands, the tabernacle on earth. He didn't go into that one. No, the, the, the veil was ripped in two there. The presence of God left there. But where did he go? He went into heaven itself, last part of verse 24, to appear what now? Tell me. To appear in the presence of God for us. Guess what the word presence there is actually translated? The face of God. He went before the face of God in the holy of holies of heaven and sprinkled his blood on that mercy seat so that you and I could regain our identity through the face of... We can see God's face again. Because our goal between made it possible. He went on your behalf before the face of God so that you could now get your full identity and worth back from the face of God or from God, the creator. All it represents of being in front of the face of God of what happened in the very beginning, that's where my true value and worth come from. Say it. My true value and worth in life comes from God. I'm going to close with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'll pick this up tonight. Because I'm going to show you how you, as a child of God, can walk out what I'm about to show you in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So how do we get this back, Pastor? What do we do as a child of God? So how, how do we, once again, find our true value and worth in the Creator? How do we see the face of God? Because literally, again, relating to what we see of what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden, how did God get his, excuse me, how did Adam get his true value and worth? By seeing the face of God. He made in the image of God. How do we get ours? Same way. Don't change it. Still the same way. Question becomes down the New Testament, how do we do this? 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you're with me, say amen. amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 says, powerful truth. I wish I had time to read the other verses. We'll go over some of the other ones uh, before this tonight. But we all, talking about those who are born again with unveiled face. See, our, va- our, our face, we couldn't see the face of God. Our faces were veiled to being able to see God until Jesus came and removed the veil. We all with unveiled face say the veil's been lifted. What do you mean? I can look back to the face of God. I can see God himself again. We all with unveiled face, how do we do this? Beholding as in a mirror. What are we looking at? The glory of God. What did Moses want to see? I want to see you for who you are so I can regain my identity. I want to see the glory of God. Can't see my face. But it says right here that when you turn to the Lord, the veil is removed and you now can see as a mirror, reflection. You can get the image back. Come on, somebody. You can see as in a mirror the reflection, the glory of the Lord, the manifest presence of God. You can get your identity, your true identity back now from God through this mirror. Notice that because this, as we are reflecting from this mirror, the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed into the same image. It changes how you live. It changes how you think. It changes whether you're hungry for God or not. It changes whether you're excited to be in God's house or you're bored. Adam and Eve never got bored with God coming in that garden to fellowship with them. They never did. Why are so many Christians so bored with God? They won't come to God's house and they won't spend time with God. They don't get their identity from God. You get your identity from God. You see him for who he is and guess what he is? He's good. And guess what you love doing? You love spending time getting to know him better and better and better and get closer to him as you every, every chance get an opportunity to do so. See, what the devil constantly does with believers all the time in humanity is to take their identity off of the creator. Because if he can do that, let me help you with something. This is powerful. This is, this is Holy Ghost powerful. You need to get this. If he can get me to find my identity, anything other than God, then I will no longer have a true fire and a true faith in my God. I won't have a fire for him and I won't have a faith for him to trust him and believe in what? You won't know him. 
So it's all about identity. Say identity. So again, look at this. Verse 18. I'm going to try to finish the whole verse this time. I'm going to try it. I'm going to say I would. I'm just going to try The Lord, and I'm going to try hard. The Lord is the Spirit. Verse, uh, excuse me, sorry, verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding us in the mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into what? Tell me. Amen. The same image. Listen, don't, don't, don't misunderstand or confuse this phrase. Underline it, please. From glory to glory. Just as what? By the Spirit of the Lord. What does that mean, Pastor? How am I being transformed from glory to glory? You're not, first of all, if you're not looking in the mirror. And I don't mean your mirror at home. You spend enough time doing that. Not, that's not the mirror I'm talking about. You are, you are not going to if you don't spend enough time looking in the mirror. Wait a minute, but you got to look into it properly. Yes. Now, the mirror, if you don't know, is this. I'm about to read another translation. But there's people that have looked into this all their life and years that have become religious-minded, and I mean, you know, mean and hard-hearted towards humanity, and we're thinking that there's somebody big in God, and why doesn't everybody live like God, live the way I do in my relationship? What's wrong with everybody else? Bless God, don't know why they ain't like me. That's religiosity. That's not a relationship with God. But you got to understand something. This is powerful. You got to get this. We are looking into this mirror, and if we do, we are transformed into the same, same, same. Meaning what? Now you got your true identity back. From glory to glory. What's that mean? You're never going to fully get to the point of being completely where you need to be of full recognition of God until you get to heaven and see him face to face. What's glory to glory? Glory to glory means what? That I, like Moses, can once again now, actually Moses couldn't, excuse me, Moses wanted to see his glory so he could find his identity. I want to see for who you really are so I can get my identity back. Guess what you can do? You can get it back. From one degree of glory to another, as you see another facet of God, more of God, more of God, more of God, guess what you keep getting more of? Your image back. Image is everything. It's everything. Because what affects you today is what you focus your very uh, aspect of your life on of what you get your image from. Do you get your image from your body? Do you get your image from what you do? Do you get your image from what others think about you? Do you get your image from what you accomplish? I'll guarantee you what, you're all saying no to that, but some of us still are. But we shouldn't be. You know, somebody could sound like they're really, you know, really being humble by putting themselves down all the time. I hear people do that. Well, you know, I'm just nobody great. You know, this happened and this happened and this happened. Number one, first of all, if you weren't that great, why would God die for you? Number two, I understand you're not exalting yourself above God. I get that. I'm not, I'm not demeaning that. But I'm just saying if you constantly talk down about the things that obviously God's done in your life. First of all, what God's done in my life, we don't even need to focus on. We just need to focus on God. Amen. Period. Can I get a better amen? amen? I've been just as bad as anybody else because I lived under this performance trap as well. And I used to always think if I could show somebody what I've accomplished as a pastor, you know what that does? Makes me feel good about me. Yeah. Wrong image. Yeah. Based on your performance. Yeah. Not God. This ain't about what you do or don't do. It's about you simply loving on and receiving God's love for you. Seeing yourself for who you really are based on the image who he made you to be. All right. So very clearly, what is verse 18 telling us? You and I have the privilege and opportunity to regain our identity. Jesus made it possible by now doing what? Looking at it in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. So what do we got to do? We got to look into this mirror constantly. And see what? The continual process of the transformation of glory to glory, getting more revelation, more understanding, more insight in our hearts of a view of who God is because the more you do, the more you gain your true identity back. The more you see who you are. Can I get a better amen? Amen. So how do we do that? I'll tell you how we do that. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Father. Now this isn't just reading the four Gospels, okay? But you've got to understand this. To understand what Jesus' statement was, although he meant two things there, he did mean to Philip when he said that. He told Philip, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So what he was telling me, yeah, if you've seen me in relationship to me standing here, it's like seeing the Father because I represent him. But he was saying more than just what you saw of a physical man. That's not really what he's referring to. He said, if you've seen me, what I've done, how I've lived, what I've done to help others, guess what you're really seeing? The Father. You're seeing the Father. 
So guess what you and I can do? We can once again see the face of God, the face of the Father, through who? Jesus Christ. But how do we do that? Tonight's message. I can't get into it. It's too, it's too, too much to go into. So you need to get it tonight. If you're not here, you need to get that message because it comes back to walking in the light of what Jesus did. When you get deeper revelation of what Christ accomplished through the word of God, guess what you're doing? You're going from glory to glory. You're seeing a more deeper revelation of God and therefore getting more of your identity back of who you really are as a child of God. And thank God we can. And the devil has worked overtime and sadly has done, I hate to give him any credit, but he's done a pretty good job getting most people to continue to live like Adam and Eve, even after being born again and still trying to find their worth and value in the creation and not the creator. Anything at all of this creation that we are, trying to, that we are actually trying to draw or gain our worth or value from, it is only going to leave you wanting more. It will never fulfill you, and it will deceive you, and it will lead you astray. And you know what it will cause you to live like? You ready? You ready? You ready? Carnal. Not spiritual. And if your spirit governed, guess what you're full of? Love, joy, peace. How do I know if your spirit governed? You're full of love. You're full. You're full, overflowing with love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, gentleness, faithfulness, self all these things that are fruits of your spirit, man. Why are most Christians not walking in that? They don't know who they are. They're not getting their identity and their value and worth in the Father, the Creator. They're still trying to get their worth and value in the context of the creation. And we're going to expose that tonight. Amen. Stand to your feet. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.